Our scripture this morning comes from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Here begins the reading. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Since the 8th century, Christians have been setting aside one day each year, typically the first Sunday of November, just to remember the saints, those people that have gone before us, those that we have loved, that we have lost. Typically, we call this All Saints Sunday. Sometimes we refer to it as the Feast of All Saints. And All Saints Sunday is a day when, when as Barbara Brown Taylor calls it the family reunion day for the church. It's a day that we pull out the old family photo albums and start remembering where we came from, the lives of those that shaped us, that helped us become who we are, that great cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews calls it. Now, if you were to open one of those photo albums, you might see St. Francis, the patron saint of animals, standing there barefoot in the snow with birds on his shoulder with his pet wolf there by his side. Or maybe flip another page back or two and and maybe you'll turn to St. Joan of Arc, who, contrary to public opinion, was not Noah's wife. Joan led men twice her size into battle, and she preferred armor to petticoats and puzzled everybody by by pretending, dressing up that she was a man. But the voice of those who were criticizing her was nothing compared to the voice of God that called her to be true to who she was. Now, those are just a couple of the more famous ancestors, but if you were to keep looking, you would find Many, many more, maybe not quite as well known, but no less intriguing. For instance, there's St. Maximilian, who was the very first conscientious objector. He was drafted by the Roman army, but refused to serve. He says, the the only army that I will serve is the army of God. Now, this was of great shame and sadness to his father, who himself was a veteran, in part because of his own embarrassment, but also because he knew that his son's decision meant that he would be put to death. And at his beheading, Maximilian noticed the shabby clothing of the person that was about to execute him. And just before he was killed, he called out to his father that was there in the crowd, called him up, and asked that the clothes that he was wearing 
the new clothes that had been given to him for this occasion, give them to this man. Give them to the executioner, he said. Now, a similar story is told by St. James the, the Greater, who was the brother of St. John, who was so full of grace, who was so full of compassion, who was so full of love, that on his way to his own death, the guard that was assigned to march him to his own death was so overwhelmed and said, I want what you have. What enables you to have such grace in the midst of this moment? And he said simply, it is my faith in Jesus Christ. And that guard said, I want that faith. And fell to his knees and confessed in that moment his faith. Of course, that meant that now both of those men were to be executed. But before they were, one looked at the other and said, may the peace of Christ be with you. And the other one said, and also with you. And that celebration, that call and response, that passing of the peace is what we practice every single Sunday and will in just a few moments. When you start meeting all of these saints, maybe the first thing that you will meet one of the first things that you will notice is that not all of them are necessarily saintly. Legend has it that St. Francis, who I mentioned a moment ago, used to roll around naked in the snow in order to help quench his lusty thoughts. It was the original cold shower, if you will. <laughs> or St. Christopher. St. Christopher was on his way to serve the devil when suddenly a mysterious hermit recruited him, suggested that he work and serve for God instead. Or St. Mary of Egypt, who was a, a prostitute for 17 years before she became a desert mother for the next 50. There was St. Bernard, who was one of the organizers of the Second Crusade, which historians will remind us collapsed into a campaign of pillage and looting. I guess what I'm trying to say, church, is that the saints are not necessarily distinguished by their goodness, but rather by the extravagant love of God, that love that shines brighter than anything else about them. One way that you can look at it is to realize that, that saint-making is, is more of God's business than our own. But either way, all that we know is that they do exist. There, there really are ordinary men and women, people like you and me, doing extraordinary things. Which means, of course, which means, of course, that none of us can just sort of shrug our shoulders and suggest that sainthood is well beyond our reach. For instance, take Osceola McCarty of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. For a long time, nobody knew she was a saint. She didn't necessarily look like one. Osceola was a washerwoman. She did people's laundry for a living. She dropped out of school when she was in the sixth grade to help care for her aunt who was sick and in the hospital. And to not only help care for her, but to also run the family business of doing laundry. And a year later, when her aunt was better, Osceola thought that, that she was just too far behind in school, and so she just kept working. She will tell you that, that for the next 75 years, that's exactly what she did from sunup until sundown. 
She would scrub the, the colored clothes on a washboard. She would boil the white ones in a big black pot in her backyard. She would hang them on the lines for them to dry. And it wasn't until she was 87 years old until anyone really knew who she was. Because that was the year that she gave $150,000, her entire life savings, to the University of Southern Mississippi for scholarships for African-American boys and girls like herself. When the news got out of this donation, the photographers, the news people, they crawled all over the story. Local businesses were inspired by her generosity and started matching all of her gifts, and soon millions of dollars was raised. She said before she died that, that the one question that she got more than any other was, why did you not spend this on yourself? To which she would always say, I am spending it on myself she said, thinking of all those who would come after her, benefiting from her incredible generosity. What about St. Bill Tucker, whose life we celebrated here in this sanctuary just a couple of weeks ago? He was the chancellor at TCU for 19 years. He was a member of this congregation for over 45 a saint of a man, if ever there was one. In the service in which we celebrated his life, I told the story that was told to me by Jeannie Chafee, a member of this congregation who used to work with Bill. She worked right down the street, or right down the hall in the donor relations office. Jeannie told me that earlier this year, she was on a cruise to Antarctica. And she befriended a woman from upstate New York. And one night as they were sitting around, uh, the conversation came up about where everybody went to college. And this woman from upstate New York said, well, I went to a small little school in Bethany, West Virginia. You've probably never heard of it. To which Jeannie said, by any chance, was it Bethany University? She said, yes, how did you know? And Jeannie says, who by chance was the president when you were there? She thought for a moment, she says, I will never forget his face. I will never forget his kindness, though I might have forgotten his name. And Jeannie says, was it Bill Tucker by any chance? And now her eyes were even wider. Yes, yes, that's him. How could I ever forget? And then she began telling stories, legends of his kindness, of his compassion, of his generosity from his days at Bethany. And then, and then her voice got quiet and she said, let me tell you this story. My family lived in Cleveland, Ohio in my junior year. My father died. And the call came in to Bill who was responsible for telling me, giving me that news. And then tears started to well up in her eyes and she said, and then, and then he drove me from Bethany, West Virginia to Cleveland, Ohio, so that I wouldn't be alone for my father's funeral. You know, we can talk about how in the 19 years that he was chancellor, he helped transform TCU from this nice little Christian college to an esteemed global university. But I tell you this, friends, the story that I will never forget is him driving a grieving student several states away so that she wouldn't be alone in her darkest hour. 
And I suspect that if I were to ask you about some of the saints in your life, you could go on and on. You could tell me story after story about those that have shaped you, that those that have helped you become who you are. You know, it's interesting to me that we oftentimes make the mistake of assuming that you have to be dead to be a saint. Granted, that is one of the requirements in the canonization process, the process of becoming a saint in the Catholic Church. But I believe with all that I am, is that there are living saints all over the place. In fact, look around. Look around. This, this place is filled with saints, people who share life with us, people who weep with us when we weep, who rejoice with us when we rejoice. They, they teach us what it means to be people of faith by living their lives of compassion and hope and generosity and kindness, of gratitude. Sir Isaac Newton, back in 1676, was writing to his rival, Robert Hooke, and he said this. He said, if I have seen a little farther, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. If I've seen a little farther, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. You see, church, there are giants all around us people upon whose shoulders we now stand, and they have shown us what it means to be people of faith, and they have shown us with their love that we are all children of God. There's an old hymn that we sing from time to time. They were all of them saints of God, and I mean God helping to be one too. You see, we all have that same blood running through our veins. It's the same light that we see shining in them. Well, that shines in us too. And whether you give yourself an A plus or, a, or an F minus in terms of living up to your sainthood, I just want to remind you that you don't have to be famous, you don't have to be perfect, you don't even have to be dead. You just have to be you. You just have to be you, that one of a kind, never to be repeated human being that God created you to be and that loves you as you are, not as you think you should be, but loves you as you are. And all you have to do is throw your arms around the world and to shine like the sun. And remember that you don't have to do it alone either. That you have all of this, this company of these saints sitting right beside you that you can see for yourself and, and those that you have loved and lost that have gone before you that still can't see. People like Francis and Joan and Christopher, Osceola and Bill, all of them all of them cheering you on, calling your name, shouting themselves hoarse with encouragement. Because you see, you are a part of them. And they are a part of you. And all of us are all knit together in that communion of saints standing on the shoulders of giants. Amen.